the ancient mind is fascinating to me. If you're like me, when you think about prehistoric times or antiquity or the ancient Near East, you think about a world without electricity, like back when dinosaurs roamed the earth kind of a thing. And I think oftentimes, if you're like me, you don't give the people who lived in those times enough credit. Like these people were intelligent. They were industrious. And I think in the church, a lot of times when we, when we talk about people in Canaan or Mesopotamia, we're looking at this obviously from a, a Judeo-Christian mindset. But as I've been reading this week's text over and over again, I've been thinking about how rational a lot of these folks were in Canaan um, and in the time of Jesus as well. Imagine you're, you're, you're in the Middle East and you're a goat herder and you see the sun come up and the sun go down and the moon travel across the sky and you notice that there's these relationships with nature that you have and uh, sometimes maybe you're, you're farming and it rains. Sometimes it does rain, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, if you're a goat herder, sometimes you have a lot of goats and sometimes you don't. And uh, when I hear words like idolatry as I'm searching through the scriptures, it, it rightly seems so silly. How could you worship uh, something that, that you made yourself? But if you think about it from their perspective, with them not having the benefit of the Almighty speaking to them through a bush <laughs> or meeting with them face to face, it actually, even though it's wrong, it can make a lot of sense when you see, oh, the moon comes up and it has this relationship to water and they started naming these forces. And, and then you have the, the thing of, okay, how do we relate to these forces? Maybe there is something controlling when it rains and when it doesn't and controlling when my goats uh, or my cattle or my camels or whatever it is, uh, how, how to make them flourish. And so you, you give this power a gift, but then it gets even more complicated because sometimes the gift works and sometimes the gift doesn't work. So these powers that are beyond your control have complete control over, over your livelihood, over your children being born safely, over your love life even, but sometimes they just want to mess with you and sometimes they're angry with you and weren't pleased with your offering. It was not a pleasant world to live in because you're just at the whim of these gods and sometimes they're angry. Well, for today's uh, text, I want to set the, the, the setting of, of where this happens. And it happens to be in the northern part of modern day Israel. And it was a place where lots of people herded goats and, and they were trying to relate to these, these forces and trying to name them. And, um, and there was a mouth uh, there was a, a cave at the mouth of the, what became the Jordan River, and they would bring their goats there to, to get some water as they were pasturing them. It's a beautiful, beautiful cave. To, it's still there today. And they started offering these gods it's, uh, gifts, and they would, they would kill a, a sacrifice a goat and toss it, into, uh, toss it into the water. And if the goat, the thinking was if the goat floated, the god was angry with you. But if it sunk, it was happy with you. But if it floated, you had to go kill another goat. And if it still floated, if the body float was floating, you had to kill another one and another one. This is where, as you read the scripture, the center of Baal worship happened. 
and it evolved, it grew and grew to, to beyond goats. And in dire times, people would sacrifice babies, uh, older humans, virgin sacrifices. And it was, it was a place of, of despair for you. If the priest walks by and taps your baby, you have the choice of either handing it over or facing the anger of the community that's gathered around you. And sometimes the, the water would actually run red with sacrifices. The Greeks later on borrowed this place and uh, said this is where their god, one of their gods of fertility, Pan, where he lived. And so as the years continued and as, as, as the culture changes, changed around, we come to Jesus's time in first century Palestine, and, and you've got a, a temple to Baal at the mouth of this river uh, near this cave, and a temple to Pan, and, and then uh, Philip uh, named this place uh, Caesarea Philippi to, to you know, separate it from the other Caesarea. So there's actual worship of the Roman emperor Caesar there, and all of these gods are competing for, for also money. Because if the sacrifice didn't work, you had to buy another goat or another pig. Um, a lot of scholars think this is why, because of Baal worship, and pigs were being sacrificed in this water too. It's one of the reasons God wouldn't let the children of Israel eat pigs, because it separated them. We don't, we don't sacrifice that. And uh, here, it's called Pan's Grotto. Here is uh, different gods competing for attention. You have every kind of abomination immorality, injustice, and, and, and attempts of humanity up to that point to search for meaning and a relationship with the divine. And one day, Jesus is traveling, and, and if you want to navigate in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, that's where our text is, and that's where Jesus brings his disciples. And they had to be thinking, uh, Jesus... Is your GPS wrong? Because we're headed north and we're headed towards Pan's Grotto and Caesarea Philippi. Upstanding, good people like us, we do not go there. Like, are, are you sure? And Jesus brings them there anyway, and it's well outside of Herod's territory, well outside of, of where the good Jews go. And, and he goes there and asks them this very, very important question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So Jesus is saying, Not who do you think I am? What's the word on the street, you guys? Who do people say I am? And their answer is interesting because they're mentioning people that have been dead, some of them for hundreds of years. And in Judaism, the idea of, of incarnation, reincarnation, that wasn't really around, but it was the thinking at the time of them trying to connect the dots between God's word saying, I'm going to send you somebody to rescue you, to liberate you, and I'm going to send someone who will be your anointed king. And that's the word, uh, an idea where we get the word Messiah from. And people would, would have long conversations and, and extensively think about what will this Messiah be like uh, and, and how will we know when he's actually here. And at the time, nobody knew exactly, but there were so many theories. When God sends this anointed king, this Messiah, he's going to be a warrior king was one of, the, one of the theories. He's going to purge the temple 
and get rid of all the impurities and injustice in the Jewish temple system. And this new king will establish true worship. And everyone, though, everyone believed that this Messiah would bring God's kingdom into being at last on earth as it was in heaven. But nobody could say exactly how. But people did know that being the Messiah was to be on the radar. This would attract hostility from from religious authorities. And especially in Jesus' time, it would attract hostility from the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire on earth. And that's the environment that Jesus bursts onto the scene in, in, in human history. And in today's passage, you know, he's taken his te- people far away from that territory and from their normal, normal sphere of activity to this like place of, uh, uh, I'm, think- I'm hearing my stepdad's voice, this place of ill repute is a good Southern Baptist term for you. So he's saying, who do people say that I am? And it's an odd construction in the original language uh, to hear it with our English ears. Who do people say that this person here uh, I myself am. It, it doesn't make sense in English. And so he's really trying to get them to say what he knows they already know. And the feeling, that's the feeling here. And the disciples answer with the general, just the general reaction with the John the Baptist, the Elijah, uh, Jeremiah. And I think it's important for us uh, to think about this on this Sunday. We're about to celebrate Christmas and move into Advent season. Uh, but this is not the cozy baby Jesus, meek and mild. They're, they're drawing on images of prophets, Elijah, fire, Jeremiah. Um, they're, they're evoking images of the king, of the Messiah. And that's what we're, we're talking about today. Those active, strong images. And uh, that's what they thought of when it came to the Messiah. Uh, a prophet of the ancient times. This is someone who's speaking God's word fearlessly about the evil kings, not just telling the future or functioning as God's mouthpiece, but this, this is people were saying, Jesus is speaking out against the injustice and wickedness in the highest places in their world. And then Jesus asks them another question. But what about you? He asks in verse 15. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Just love Peter. I have to say it every time we read something Peter says. Probably in a moment of awkward silence, everyone's like, uh, is this a trick question? Peter's like, hey, you're the one. You're the one we've been waiting for. And when he says you're the son of God, for those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, I think this is important because at the time, uh, it it was a phrase that they used but they didn't know yet that, that Jesus was the second person of the, the Trinity. Uh, this was a term used in 2 Samuel. It's used in the Psalms. But very soon after the resurrection, as they replay these events, Jesus' followers became to believe, they came to believe there was a whole other layer on top of this phrase, the Son of God. But for us today, it's important that we understand in this present passage that, that Peter was saying, you are the true king. You are the one that Israel's been waiting for for hundreds of years. You are God's 
he would have said, you're God's adopted son. And the one who the, the prophets and the Psalms have spoken about this didn't know that he was actually God's son yet. But Jesus said in this moment, Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So going back to the setting, Pan's Grotto. Do you know what people called it in ancient times? They called it the gates of Hades. The people believed that that, that Pan and Baal, they they somehow lived behind this portal in that cave and that they could come out. And I mean, just picture the blood coming out in that water. This was the gates of, and, and most translations say hell, but Hades was not a place you wanted to go. It's where they envisioned disembodied souls kind of stumbled around in a semi-conscious state. And in the midst of people dancing with goats and worshiping other gods and, like we said before, debauchery, stuff you would be arrested for in in 2021. And Jesus is telling them, okay, yeah, I am the king. God revealed that to you. And I'm going to build this church, my church. Or another translation is my gathering. I'm going to build my community. It started right there in Caesarea Philippi with Peter saying, you are the one. Oh, and by the way, the gates of hell over there, they will not be able to stop my, my movement. Nothing. Not, not worship of, of money, not worship of fertility, not worship of, uh, of greed or violence or, or power in this world. And yeah, we don't have Pan and Baal worship, but those idols are still around us today. And guess what? The gates of hell will not stand against the unstoppable church or gathering of Jesus Christ. And he goes on. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I love that last part. Because it's like, oh, why are you telling everybody to keep it a secret? He was choosing the way he would go to his death. He, it, it wasn't time for him and, uh, to, to go and, and be crucified. And from this point on, his, his direction, his compass was pointed straight towards Jerusalem, building towards that crescendo of, of his death on the cross where he rescued humanity. But he's saying, I've started this community. Now, now you, you've got the first part. I am God's son, God revealed that to you. And another translation says, whatever you unlock on earth, you'll unlock in heaven. Whatever, I'm giving you the keys because they're standing in front of the gates of Hades and it's not going to advance anymore. Now there's a reversal of the energy and now God's kingdom is going to expand through, through the church of Jesus Christ. And they probably didn't understand at the moment that He wasn't going to build an actual city and an actual temple, but he was building this community consisting of all of those people who had their allegiance to Jesus Christ, not Caesar and not to any other gods. And this community and movement started right there at Caesarea Philippi. 
And for this moment, just for now, it's got to remain a deadly secret. Because if it leaks out, it would be deadly to everybody. But to those, those of us that agree with Peter that Jesus of Nazareth really is God's Messiah, think about this promise. The gates of hell will not stand against the story that we belong to. And through this allegiance, uh, believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus will become the people through whom the living God will put everything right, bringing heaven and earth into a new state of peace and justice, everything that's pure and good and true and right. And Peter, uh, with the boldness to speak out, he'll become the starting point of this community, but he's still got a lot to learn. I highly encourage you to keep reading because when Jesus talks about how the kingdom will be established uh, as the suffering that he had to go through, Peter still stepping in, oh, no, 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 Jesus, it's not gonna, it's not gonna go like that. And Peter has, uh, gets some strong, loving encouragement from Jesus after that. And he's still gonna fail over and over in the next passage and as he continues. But even this is part of the process Jesus' new community. It's, and I find comfort in this because Jesus' new community will consist of forgiven sinners, people who've been redeemed, people who are being renewed. And guess what? The gates of hell will not stand against the church. It's irresistible. I kept looking up different words in the thesaurus. Irresistible, unstoppable, and I, I was thinking of, yeah, that's great, that's great, okay. I'm thinking of the church, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, here's all the people, you know, listen. But I don't always think of the church with the big C, the, the gathering of all the believers all over the world. It's unstoppable. If you read church history, uh, persecution, of uh, making it through mistakes and, and things that people have done in the name of God that do not represent God. In spite of all that, it's unstoppable and irresistible, and it's good news for you and me in our everyday life. I want to give you an image uh, of an irresistible, unstoppable church, of just how powerful it is, and uh, to help it, help it connect with our natural minds. Um, in 1946, there was an 8.6 magnitude earthquake in the Aleutian Islands up near Alaska. That triggered a tsunami. Waves 55 feet high, moving at 500 miles per hour. Just imagine, that's airplane speed. Nothing could stand in the way of those waves. It wiped out islands that were hundreds of and thousands of miles away, Hawaii took a huge hit. That's, that's a little bit of power compared to how unstoppable Christ's church is. And uh, it doesn't always feel that way in my life. You know, I have, I have a bill come in and I think, oh no, God, what's going to happen? Please, on earth as it is in heaven, help. No, my mindset's not right in that moment. How would it change our thinking if we reminded ourselves over and over of who Jesus is and what he's doing? He's still building his church, still at work, gaining momentum. Those waves, they lost inertia. As powerful as they were, those waves aren't around anymore. 
And Jesus' church, for some reason, thrives, thrives in persecution. The church in Iraq right now, the church in China, all or persecuted believers, Afghanistan. There's something about this upside-down kingdom of Jesus that, that gains momentum. It is unstoppable. And we have the invitation to be a part of it. So got a couple of challenges from this passage. For if you're here just checking things out, and maybe someone sent you the link and invited you to, hey, check out, check out Solid Ground Church today. I'm so glad you're here because there is an open invitation for you to turn over control of your life, to join your life with an unstoppable force. Uh, maybe there's been something in you that's been reaching out, like there's more to this life. There's, there's got to be something other than this. The world is broken and, and I want to fix it, but I don't know how. Like this is the movement that God is using to change the whole world and, and set it right again. And uh, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, there's an open invitation for you to follow Jesus right now. And, and, and it's, it's free. All it costs you is your whole life. And we would love to talk with you about that. And it depends, you know, to follow Jesus you know, it's, it's the question, to answer this question, who is Jesus? He says, who, who do people say I am? I would ask that question of you. Who do you say Jesus is? Maybe something in your heart is telling you there's something to this. Uh, I, I want to know what, I need to pull on this thread a little bit. If that's you, please reach out to us. We would, I would love nothing more than to Zoom with you, or if you're close, go out to coffee with you and talk about who this Jesus is. Because what Jesus says of himself is that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and under no other name, no other name, can man be saved, can, can you and I be saved. He's, he's what you're looking for. So the challenge for you is to ask. Keep asking yourself, who do I say Jesus is? Is there something to this? For those of us who've been around for a little while, the invitation is is to reflect on the unstoppable nature of the church. The question for us is, is that the story that we're telling ourselves every day when we wake up? I get to be a part of the unstoppable church in an upside-down kingdom. Is that what you think about yourself personally, about your life? Is that what you think when you're watching the news? It's a challenge. It's real. When I turn on the news, I'm like, oh, no. Not that again, or, oh, it's getting even worse. What if we said, okay, in one hand, I just saw that on the news, and that's horrible. And at the same time, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Use your unstoppable force to right that wrong, to turn things around I want to be a part of. That's the story you can find yourself in. Take it down to the personal level. When you wake up in the morning, do you, do you reflect on the fact that because of this unstoppable force spreading the good news that everyone can be saved, everyone can be adopted into God's family, God's community, do you remind yourself that you have been redeemed? You're not who you used to be. You are, you are a son or a daughter of God when you, call, when you turn over control of your life to Jesus. Or do you wake up feeling that, oh, I'm so stoppable, Oh, you have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing 
on this earth. Do you need someone to remind you? We're here. (laughs) Are you up against something that is bigger than you? That's what the church is about, to pick up our brothers and sisters. Because you're not always going to feel like a sense of bravado going through life. Oh, that problem? No problem. I'm, uh, that's not the normal human response. But God totally gets that. That's why Jesus started this community, for us to come alongside each other and remind each other, we're going to make it through this. We can help you. If you need someone to pick you up or encourage you, my goodness, we're here please take advantage of it. So I've got good news for you. You have been invited to be a part of the unstoppable church of Jesus Christ and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, this is such a big mystery. And when we look with our natural eyes, God, honestly, a lot of times it doesn't feel like we're a part of this, but we're trusting that you will give us your eyes to see this world, that you will give us wisdom to transform this world, to be a light in the darkness, to to be salt and light in a city on a hill. Would you please give us wisdom and strength and patience and courage? And for everybody that, that is gathered with us right now who feels like they're being stopped, God, I pray that you will comfort them and give them your eyes to see how you are surrounding them with your presence. May they feel it right now tangibly in their hearts that that the unstoppable God is fighting for them, fighting for their thoughts, fighting for their heart, their will, and surrounding them with peace and love and healing and comfort. Would you please open our minds to this fact this week? In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So friends, we mean it. We're here. We're in this together. We may not be in the same room right now, but you can find us. You can leave us a message in the the comments below. You can reach out to us with a direct message. And 24-7, you can reach out to us at sgbic.com. It is our honor to be in this with you. And I pray that this week, your mind will be opened up, that your heart will will be emboldened by the fact that we serve an unstoppable God and that there's nothing in your life that that is bigger than God. And may you sense God comforting you and taking you through everything that life is throwing at you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.